Welcome to Roadside, where we talk about the fascinating and sometimes disturbing history behind roadside attractions and unique destinations. Hello. Welcome to Roadside. I am Abigail. I am Janica. And she is my mother. And she is my daughter. It is what it is. And this is episode 26. 26? 26. Oh my God. Yeah. Why did I still think we were on like episode five? No, <laughs> no, we're not. Like, I feel like it's been, I feel like it hasn't been very long, but I feel like it has, like we've yeah. been doing this forever, but we also just started. Yep. You know? I know. Yeah. So what's up with you, mom? I have been very busy with work and working in the backyard and just trying to get stuff done around the house really yeah she got her projects going on in the backyard yeah yeah I do so yes that's pretty much it just been um working on all that what's been going on with you more moving yeah pretty much the same as last time we got the keys to our our apartment that's exciting very exciting because I did not think we were going to get them until June 1st yeah but we got them early so I started moving we started moving some stuff over there and yeah we just got to start unpacking and move a little bit more stuff, and we'll be fully in by June. It's so exciting. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> Yay. I cannot wait to have an apartment that is just me and Ryan and our cats and yes. nobody else. Yes. It's going to be nice. That will be nice. As you can tell, if you're watching us from YouTube, I am back in the frat house. <laughs> Shout out to the Phi Lambda Phi boys. Yes. Thank you. Yes, thank you for letting me use your space, and uh, you will probably be seeing Frank slash hearing Frank at some point, because he is right outside that door, meowing very loud, so yeah. he might make another cameo. Well, that's okay. There's lots of cats in your life, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's just one of them, <laughs> and he's not even mine. No, he's not. But, yeah, that's about it. Nice. I've been working a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm exhausted all the time because I'm Aww. working the same amount of hours, but also on top of it, you know, moving and everything. Right. So it's a lot. It happens. You'll get there. Yeah. Once you're settled yeah. in, yeah, once Survive. you're settled in, things will be much calmer. Yes. I am so excited for that. Good. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our newest patron, my good friend, Rebecca. Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Rebecca. We love you, you, Rebecca. We love Rebecca. We always love Rebecca. We do. And I want to thank all of our patrons. Even though we only have a few right now, we were able to get a subscription to newspapers.com, which is giving us like so much more material and research. So you can just expect even more details in our future episodes. I've tried to use newspapers.com a couple of times before and it's like I can like barely get anything from it because you know Mm -hmm. I gotta subscribe and pay the whatever and well and then when you're researching things all over the place Mm -hmm. and like it might take me to the Wall Street Journal or to the Post Dispatch or you know San Francisco and so every single one of them have a paywall and to try and pay the subscription for every newspaper so when I heard of newspapers.com, because I hadn't really ever heard of it before, mm-hmm. and I, when I heard of it, I was thinking, oh my gosh, that would be great because we could access so many locations 
And this one that we're talking about today, I, so this originally was supposed to be a bonus for all of you listeners knowing this was supposed to be one of our bonus patron episodes, but Abigail's been super busy moving. So I was already pretty much done with this one. And I said, well, I'll just do it for our regular episode and then we'll have to like tack on an extra bonus for patrons. Yes. Thank you for for doing this because I would not have had any time to study or do anything. That's okay. Hey, you know what? We got to do what we got to do. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I'm sure there will be some point when I will say, Abigail, please do two back to back because I'm doing whatever. Yep. When you get busy and I'm not and we can kind of switch off. Yeah. Cool. This was going to be a bonus for patrons only. And then I was I was thinking, okay, it'll be probably be about 20 minutes long. And then I found newspapers.com <laughs> and got a subscription. And I was like, oh my gosh, I found so much more. Good. I love all the little details. Yeah. And there's only so much that you can find on the internet without mm-hmm. paying for that information. Yeah, exactly. I, I ran into that a lot when I was in school and looking up like research papers and articles and yeah. stuff like that. Which, you know, when I was in school, I could go through uh, my school's website and use that account so I didn't oh, have to yeah. pay for anything. But now that I am not in school anymore, right. I have to pay for stuff and yeah. I don't want to do that. Well, and I could go to the library too, but there are times when I'm studying at, you know, nine o'clock at night or like sometimes mm-hmm. seven in the morning, you know. Before the library is even open. Whenever I have time. So it's really nice to have this. Yeah. So thank you, patrons. That's a big help from you for us to give you more. Yes. We really do appreciate you all. Really do. If you want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash roadside. And for as just a little as $5 a month, then you can support us and then you'll get bonus episodes. And if you want additional goodies, then you can go up a level we got merch on there. We do. We have well, we have merch on our website, but we have merch on patrons that's exclusive merch. Yes. The special stuff just for you guys. Yeah. They're gonna be getting some stuff soon. Yep, but the VIPs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Not that all of you are not very important people. Correct. You all are. But if you want like today's episode, if you if you listen and you're you're thinking, oh my gosh, that's more of what I want, then be a patron so you can get more and of that. And you know where to go. You that's know right. exactly where to go. That's right. Yep. You can also go to our website, roadsidepodcast.com, where you can just buy merch if you want. And we have some merch, just saying. We do. All handmade. Yes. By, by- yours truly, Janica. Yes. By the mama of the of the duo here. By the mama. My mother, she who birthed me. That is that is me. Yep. <laughs> and then you can go to our socials. TikTok at Roadside Podcast. Instagram is Roadside Pod. Facebook is Roadside Podcast. And our Gmail is Roadside Pod, I think, at gmail.com. Yes, it is. Oh, look at Yes, it is. Getting it. Oh, so yeah. you can email too. Please email us. I want to read your emails. I would love to read your emails. I feel like it'd be so fun. I feel like as soon as we get an email, I'm like the the, the song in my head that's like, we just got a letter. We just got a letter. You know? 
It's going back to my childhood. I go around singing uh, Blue Skadood, We Can Too, all the time. <laughs> all the time. It just randomly <laughs> runs through my head. And, and then I follow Steve on TikTok. Yeah, I love Steve. Yeah, we love Steve. Blue's Clues was an essential part of my childhood, for sure. Yes. And I used to watch it with the girl that I used to nanny before I had mm-hmm. you. And then I had you. So it was like consecutively watching Blue's Clues for years. And then they, J- Steve left. I was so sad that Joe came in. I know, and then like, I changed it. And <laughs> I mean, Joe is still good. I He is, yes. But I mean, nothing can beat Steve, you know. Nothing can beat Steve. It's just the nostalgia of it. Sorry, Joe. It is. It is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, tell me what we're doing today. I want to know. Normally, our bonuses we call an est, estist, you know? Yep. I couldn't think of an est for this. So there's not one. I mean, this isn't even, this isn't a bonus episode, so we don't need to. I know, but it would have been. And so I couldn't think yeah. of a name for I did kept keep trying to think of a name for it. And then I stopped trying to think of a name because, well, I just decided, you know, I was like, well, now we're going to do it as a regular episode. So, yep. Today we're doing the St. Louis Plate Glass Factory. Ooh, interesting. So any of our local St. Louis listeners, because we are in the St. Louis area. St. Louis. <laughs> Go Cardinals. Go Blues. Yeah, yeah, go Cardinals. I just went to a Cardinals game. They lost, unfortunately. Sad. I was really jealous that you went and I didn't get to go. Oh, we had a good time. I was at work and you sent me those pictures and I was like, gosh darn it. <laughs> but you're going to get to go too, so. Yes, I will. I will. We'll go to a game. But anybody in the St. Louis area who is my age-ish will likely remember this and it's not good. I'll just tell you that. I don't remember this. I'll just tell you that right from the start. Okay. I don't know what this is. This, this does not have a happy ending. So we're just going to oh, we're just gonna start okay. there just so you know what you're in for a little bit. All right. I'm prepared. I'm ready. I really only knew one thing about this place until I got onto newspapers.com and started searching anywhere, everywhere. And there are just some... This, this place just didn't have good luck from the beginning. Let's just say that. Okay. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. So in 1900... In a tiny little area near the Merrimack River was a place called, I saw some places call it, called it Nasby. Nasby. But it was not officially named a town until 1917. And at that point, it was named Valley Park. <gasps> I know where that is. You do know where that is. I do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so at this time, though, in 1900, the town people did call it Valley Park. There was one of the businesses there called the Valley Park something or other. So I get, I think that's just kind of why they called it that. I don't know that there was an mm-hmm. official name. I also heard, saw people call it Newtown, which was not the same as another, like another Newtown. Valley Park is better. Yeah. Approximately 150 people lived in Valley Park in the, in 1900. They had mm. a post office, a train station, a milling company, a distillery, and a general store. Not very big. Pretty good for a little town, yeah. yeah. The biggest reason that they were even 150 people was of the proximity of the river and the train station. Right. So it made it a lot easier for people to get places, plus, you know, by water, which a lot of people sought to be by water, you know, mm-hmm. in the early or late 1800s. Right. In 1902, the St. Louis Plate Glass Factory 
I also saw it referred to as the Missouri Plate Glass Factory, but that was later on. So at the point that it started, it was the St. Louis Plate Glass Factory. It was built on 12 acres of land, and they promised 500 jobs, which would bring people and businesses to the area. So people were really excited about this. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I need to let Frank in. He's clawing the door. Okay. Oh, hello. Frank is purring into the microphone. He sure is. (laughs) Oh, he just wants attention. I'm I'm listening. I'm just uh, over here. I know. I see. Not that listeners can see, but the cat's like rubbing right in, right between hey, her he and the microphone. Onto the microphone, he literally just rubbed his face against the microphone. <laughs> he wants to be on the podcast. He says, "I was on it last time." Yeah, Frank. He said, "This isn't a podcast about me." Not today, Frank. He's laying in my arms now. Uh, so the plate glass factory. If you don't know what a plate plate glass is, it's windows, mirrors, beveled glass, things like that. The factory was freaking enormous like it was built on 12 Mm -hmm. acres of land and it didn't really spread across the whole 12 acres but the main portion of the building was a hundred and five thousand square feet a hundred and five thousand yes god damn how big how big how big is that like in comparison like i need like i need something to compare it to visually get it in my brain visually okay let me think of something visually that it could like be. Like how many square feet is our house? 2,100. 2,100. And you said the factory is? 105,000. Okay. So that's a lot bigger. So you could say that would be 50 of our houses. Cool. Does that make, does that compare a so little that, bit more? That makes it, that gives me a good visual. Okay. Yes, that gives me a good visual. Okay. Now I can really cool. like put myself. Okay. And just as I was editing, I didn't go back and fix it because I didn't want it to sound weird. But in part two of Heaven's Gate, I said that the house was 92,000 square feet. It was not. It was 9,200. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Because it was not the same size as this factory. (laughs) Right. Because this is a a big ass factory. Yes. So that was the main portion of the building. That did not even include the furnace room, the mixing room, mm-hmm. or the pot house. Mm-hmm. Which the pot house is not as fun as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that it would be. I, you know, I don't think that they're growing in a glass factory, unfortunately. No, but I will tell you. So the pot, the pot house was uh, basically like clay pots for melting mm-hmm. down materials. Okay. But I will tell you, this past weekend in St. Louis, we had a cannabis like festival. And I wasn't there. I was not there, but I'm sure Jake went. Uncle Jake went, of course. He was telling showing me like they had this this dome that basically this man was inside just burning pot. It like a fire pit, but it's just pot. An entire fire pit of marijuana. Yes. And he was charging people like 10 or $15 to go in and they could stay in there as long as they wanted. I think I would die. And it was like, every time it would open, like smoke would just fly out of it. I think I would die. I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'm, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. I don't think I can handle that. No, same. Uh, plus the furnace and the coal that was used to heat the building and the furnace room was also like in another area a separate room yeah there was a lot of so a lot of space to this factory some men were brought to missouri from germany england and switzerland 
who were skilled workers and managers. Okay. And then the company started recruiting additional workers from other glass factories in in states in the U.S. Mm Mm-hmm. The need of a job and the proximity of the river and the train station was easy to bring people in. And other immigrants came to the area as well because because of the train station and the river. So it was very easy to get to. And they would camp along the riverbank just in hopes of getting work. Oh, okay. Which reminded me a lot of, um, what was the other one we did where there was, oh, that would have been Lake of the Ozarks, right? A lot of people were coming in and camping. Yeah, yeah. To get work. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I re- I remember that. Additional land was acquired by the company. They also they built a, ha- a hotel on it and dozens of houses because they were Ooh. expecting all these people to move here. Right, because they need workers and they need places to live. Yep, the houses were built according to class. One street was. Oh. The houses were built for executives. The next street, it was built for like supervisors. The next street was built for the laborers, which when you read it that way, it's kind of like, it reminded, reminded me of, you know, Queen Mary and Titanic, where it's like, oh, these, the classes right. are on different. That's what I was just thinking of. Yeah. But I mean, truthfully, I guess it's the same as today because you go into one subdivision and they're charging a million dollars for a house. You go into another subdivision in, you know, a different county or whatever, and they're charging 200000 for the same house. But, right. but these were literally one street until the next. So these, like, houses and stuff, were they all kind of built, like, equally? Or were, they, were there some that were, like, fancier or some that were worse? I'm trying to think of the streets. And I want to say, I would say some were built a little bit nicer, but then there's some that was, like, duplexes and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to know if if they purposefully like segregated the workers or if they like moved into their own. I think it was more like this street was a little bit nicer house. Then the next street was a little bit less. The next street was a little bit less because it was based essentially on their wages and what they could afford. Right. Yeah. Okay. January 11th, 1905, a fire broke out in the factory Bum, bum, bum. And destroyed about a third of the factory. Oh, a third. That's and that's a, a lot. big ass factory. Yeah. So that's like 30,000 oh. square feet, essentially, that's being destroyed. Oh. Yeah. That's sad. The damage in 1905 was $100,000. Today, that's $3.5 million in damages. Oh, my God. This here begins the bad luck. Oh, no. <laughs> Of the factory. I'm liking this factory. I have a question. Yes. Is this the same glass factory that Grandpa Charlie used to always talk about? Oh, it had to be. I didn't realize that he always talked about it, but it had to be. Yeah. He used to talk about it all the time when, you know, he just had those big chunks of glass laying around everywhere. Oh. What did he say about it? Do you remember? Not really. But I just remember asking, like, because I, I, you know, the little nook that's outside in the backyard in the house. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, in, yeah. Embedded into the house. Yes. There was a bunch of like yeah, I remember chunks that. of big glass, like clear and blue. and I mean, that had know, to whatever. be from the glass factory. There's It had to be. Because there was nothing else 
close enough to it. I remember asking because I thought it was so cool. I was like, it's a crystal. You know, I thought it was so cool. <laughs> he was like, no, that's just glass. It came from the glass factory. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that he said it much nicer, you know, but it was, I'm sure he did. And this was when I was a child, you know, but I remember him saying that it was from the glass factory. Yeah. So that's super interesting. I actually have a few pieces of it. Oh, you do. That's so cool. I do. Huh. Yeah. It's in i I'm sure it's packed away in a box right now, Yeah, but it's in a little like glass jar and I've got like, I think a clear chunk and a blue chunk. Very cool. I mean, it had to be from there because I don't know where else it would be from. I'll find that eventually and we'll show it to everybody. Okay. Hopefully we remember by the time she finds it. Yep. It's going to be a while because I got to unpack. Yes. But that's really cool. A little personal connection right there. That is really cool. Yes. Yeah. The glass factory ran two shifts. 12 hours each every single day of the week. Literally 24-7, the factory was, was running. I mean, yeah, everybody needs glass. This was sheet glass that was for windows, for like the buildings, you know, downtown and mm-hmm. houses and mirrors and this large pieces of glass. Especially when St. Louis is beginning to grow in population and there's being more right. houses built and more office buildings and, you know, stuff like that, yep. that they need more glass for, for windows and such. Yeah. Actually, I found an ad that was run in 1906 after they like got the factory back up from the fire and mm-hmm. they were paying 35 cents an hour for workers, which was, which would be a little less than $12 an hour now. Okay. And I was like, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not too bad. I mean, it's not terrible, but, you know, I mean, that was the laborers, not like a supervisor or something like that. Right. But I mean, this was hard work. They were, they were lifting mm-hmm. heavy materials, like dumping them into the pit. In 12 hours a day. 12 hours a day. Yeah. Imagine, especially the people that are working in like, where they're melting all the glass. Yes. And now like those furnaces to melt the glass would get a thousand to fifteen hundred degrees That's to lot. melt all of these materials together. Yeah. I mean, even when I'm working at the restaurant that I work <laughs> at and I go back into the kitchen and they're you know, grilling stuff, it's hot back there. Yeah. I cannot even imagine working in a glass factory where it's that hot. No. And there was one thing that I saw that said some of these plates of glass were so Mm. big that it would take 12 men with straps to move them. 12. Because if you think like a big office building window, that's a good point. And you're trying to move that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're thinking about like the big, yeah, yeah. that would be, that would be really heavy. Yeah. I mean, even my bay window obviously would not take 12 men, but just like office buildings, a lot of times like, their ceiling height is even, it's more than eight feet. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll have floor to ceiling windows in some of those office buildings. Yeah. And I bet nowadays they just use like cranes and stuff to get them up there. But back then, they didn't have as much technology. And- I mean, I don't know how they transported them. All I saw was that the men had to lift them with straps. So I don't know, but yeah. And I saw there was, if the glass broke, it would just like, could be disastrous. Uh, one man had to have like up to 150 stitches. Another guy sued because there was a man working there who was deaf and couldn't hear a command and ended up dropping the glass. 
Mm. And so he had cuts all over him. Mm. Yeah. It's very dangerous. OSHA wasn't like the, um, the way they are nowadays. Yep. Thinking about factories back in the day, like working in factories way back in the day, that's terrifying. Yeah. Have you ever read the book, The Jungle? No, I haven't, but I have heard a lot about it. That's like factories and stuff from back in the day always make me think of that. Yeah, it makes me think of the, what was it, the Triangle Factory Fire or something like that? Mm, I don't know what that is. Factory Fire, I gotta look it up. Okay. Because <laughs> it was, I think it was in like New York, but it was like a huge fire in a factory that, and everybody was trapped inside. Oh, Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Hmm. It was in Manhattan. Industrial disaster caused the death of 146 workers. Wow. Yeah. People were jumping out the windows. and oh. But I think they were like, because of the way that the building was set up, they couldn't get out somehow. Like, well, the doors, I think, were all locked. Oh, gosh. Because, you know, they didn't want people leaving in the middle of their shift or whatever. Don't quote me on that. No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if they actually did lock the doors, but I think that they did. I feel like I really not in history class. But anyway. Well, maybe you'll have to cover that someday. Maybe I will. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. By 1907, the town had increased their population to 3,500. Whoop, whoop. Belly pork. 150 to 3,500. Yeah. They had a mm-hmm. booming industrial area that included a lumber yard, a cigar factory, a screen manufacturer and a stove company. So they were, yeah, they were popping. They were booming. On October 4th of 1914, two employees at the factory got into a fight over their dogs. Their dogs? Yes. John Touch. I don't know if that's, I'm saying that right. T-U-T-S-C-H. Touch. 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 Anyway. Don't ask me, man. So he was 50. His bulldog attacked the puppy of John An- John Anthony Crow, who was 17. Oh, puppy. So like any civil person would do, Crow got a knife from his dad and stabbed Touch to death. That is not a reasonable response. Right? Don't get me wrong. If someone's dog attacked my brand new puppy that I just got, I would be pissed. Oh yeah, I would be too. I would be really upset. And that person would get a gnarly talking to, maybe a punch. You never know. But I would right. not stab someone to death. No. Over a dog. And the fact that he, so he's 17. He mm-hmm. went back to his house. His dad gave him a knife. And then he went to go kill the man. And you would think oh, his dad would say, yo, John, that's that's a little over the top. No, his dad was like, here's the knife. Go, go. Yeah. Here's the knife. Oh. Huh? Right? Osha, oh, where are you? <laughs> so, Crow went into hiding for a couple weeks after this, and then he, I guess, decided he was done hiding and came back home and he was arrested. Good. Yes. Dude, what the heck? A year later, not even a year later, August 1st, 1950, 1915, there was a record flood. We know Valley Park so well. Yes. Always flooding. If you don't know the Valley Park area, it floods often. Often. Yeah. Most springs. Yes. Although not yet this spring. No. Knock on wood. Uh, yeah. 
cresting the Merrimack River at 37.85 feet in this area, which was two feet higher than the previous record that had been set 23 years earlier in 1892. Normally, the width of the water is like 100 feet. Mm-hmm. The width of the water in this specific flood was estimated to be two to four miles wide. Well, that's what happens. Yes. That is what happens in Valley Park. Yes. The, the Merrimack River loves to flood. Yes. All the time. We used to go, when it would flood, we would go visit and uh, just watch the flood. I remember standing there in the, the Ruby Tuesdays parking yeah. lot. Yes. And it causes a lot of... Yep. Right there by the highway. A lot of damage. And then the stupid Missouri mm-hmm. Department of Transportation decided it would be a fabulous idea to build all these extra ramps for 44 instead of just taking 141 over 44, but whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> because it still floods under there. <laughs> like, it's like. I know, it still floods. Like, underneath the 44, Highway 44. 141 goes underneath it and it still floods and it will flood even when it's like just like a flash flood and so then you have to like go all the way mm-hmm. around i know it's anyway annoying. i remember in high school a bunch of kids couldn't come to school because their neighborhoods got flooded in they couldn't get out of their neighborhoods oh i mean we've had business of mm-hmm. businesses and schools have had to close because of that because they can't yeah. can't get there Yep, because my friend, uh, my friends Katie and Brian lived in neighborhoods across from each other, and the road that they used to get into their neighborhood was flooded. So the yeah. entrance right to their neighborhood was flooded, and there was no other exit or anything. So they were all just stuck inside. Um, and I remember Katie telling me that one of her friends took like a four wheeler or something oh. just to go to the gas station, went through the woods or oh something my by gosh. grandma's house. Just to go to the gas station to get some food. Well, there the flood of 2017 is either 15 or 17. I don't remember. But it was so high that it was over 44 because mm-hmm. my work called off because we couldn't even get. I remember. We couldn't even get there. Yeah. That was rough. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway. So the 1915 record would not be broken for another 67 years in until 1982. And then that would be broken again in 2015 and again in 2017. So that 1915 flood is still considered the fourth highest flood in that area. That's crazy. Yeah. The flood waters rose inside the glass factory, flooding the tanks that held the molten glass and started to mm-hmm. cause explosions because yeah. like very hot glass. Yeah, it's 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 literally freaking lava. lava. Yeah. And you're going to put river water in there. Right. That's going to be Gross, cold. First of all. Yes. That's going to be cold. Yes, and it's going to cause like, you know, popping and Yep. And that's exactly what glass it did. It's going to go everywhere and yep. yeah. Now, I didn't see that anybody was hurt, so that's good. They must have like known that it's flooding cuz it wasn't like it mm-hmm. didn't come up that fast, I guess. But there was so much damage that the factory was forced to shut down. Hmm. And the flood damaged or completely destroyed so many of the other businesses and homes in the area that within a year, 3,000 people moved out of Valley Park and the population dropped to 360 people. Oh my gosh. I did not know that. Yeah. That's crazy. 
Wow. Like went from 150 to 3,500 down to 360 within a matter of like 10 years time. Yeah. It's crazy. That's kind of crazy because it's such a, it was such a booming area for a hot second. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, one little flood and people go crazy. (laughs) Well, I mean, their houses are destroyed. (laughs) I know. Although I remember when I was in junior high or high school, there was a, a flood at that time. And I don't remember what year. It couldn't have been 82 because I don't, we weren't living here yet. But anyway, there were people that their houses were flooded that they used to have them right along the Merrimack River there and their houses were mm. flooded and then they just cleaned up and went back. And there are some areas, I mean, there are some areas around here that over time people have just built their house to accommodate a flood because mm-hmm. we do have a lot of areas that unfortunately are in a floodplain. And what else do you do right. if there's like, that's your property, that's your land. That's if you can't your, move, you know. Right. Yeah. Every, not everybody can just afford to like... Yeah, sell their land and then your house. a lot of people don't want to sell don't want to buy a piece of land that's in a floodplain mm-hmm. yeah exactly so it's going to be hard to sell yes uh once the waters receded the owners were able to salvage some equipment um that they ended up taking and moving to a new factory about 30 miles south of valley park to crystal city missouri okay January 23rd, 1917, what remained of the factory and the land was purchased by the Valley Park Land Company. So this was the year that Valley Park became actually Valley Park. Right. And they purchased, it was essentially 600 acres total. And I think there was like 100 and some, 192 houses. So they, they purchased what is now Valley Park. Right. The land. Uh, They purchased all of this for $1.78 million, which today is about $42 million. God damn. (laughs) Yes. If only I had that much money. But they were taking the glass factory as part of that because they were purchasing the whole piece. Right. In December of 1918, the Universal Glass Company purchased the property for the glass factory for $250,000. Okay. Which is $4.3 million today. Still a lot. They planned to reopen. Yes, that is. They planned to reopen the factory with better equipment and estimated that they would now employ 1,500 to 2,000 men. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this gave the citizens of Valley Park hope again. Like, we're going to have more jobs. They've got better equipment. Things are going to be mm-hmm. run better. going to bring in money and people. Yeah. And they knew yeah. they figured the town would be booming again. However, the Universal Glass Company never reopened the factory and, in fact, ended up defaulting on their loan. Oh. Yeah. What the heck, guys? So, like I said, they bought this property for $250,000. Mm-hmm. Go forward to June of 1925, the property was sold at a foreclosure auction Mm. to Joseph Greenspun's Sons Iron and Steel Company. It's a very long name, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But the Iron and Steel Company purchased it for only $36,100. Discount. Yeah. And I mean, it was... I love a steel. You know, like six or seven years later... But oh my gosh, like that's a lot less compared to what, but it was yeah. at a foreclosure auction. I mean, they the Universal Glass Company got foreclosed on. 
Do you know if at this point the glass company, like the buildings and everything, were they still damaged from the floods or were they repaired? I would assume that they were still damaged because it said that the original company just took what they could salvage to a new Mm -hmm. location. So I never saw anything that said that they redid it. Now, I don't know if the Universal Glass Company, once they purchased it, I don't know if maybe they tried to go in and do part of it. And that was part of the reason that they defaulted on their loans because they just kept getting further in debt. I'm not really sure. But this iron and steel company, uh, Joseph Greenson's plan was to reopen the glass factory again. And he said that he hoped that he would get it operational within 60 days. I was like, dude, 60 days. 60 days. I guess it's now been sitting there for 10 years. (laughs) Like, okay. You are not going to repair all of that in 60 days. I felt like he had high hopes for that. He probably, he probably did. Yeah. Did he manage it? Well, he said I was, he was going to start by employing just 150 men to get it started. He was, you know, a slow progress. Mm -hmm. He wanted to do 750,000 square feet of glass in the first year. Now, I don't know if that's a lot or a little glass, because I don't know what a glass factory is supposed to produce. I don't either. I don't either. But no, there was no progress in reopening the plant. Okay. Yeah. Sad. That's really sad. So for the next 77 years, the glass factory just remained abandoned. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. In 1994, it was purchased by the city of Valley Park. They bought it back. And this time they said that they were going to build a flood levee. Because now a couple more floods have come through, which Mm -hmm. I'm assuming even further damaged the glass factory. I'm sure. Yeah. Especially the 1982 one that said that it was even worse than the Mm -hmm. 1915. So they said they were just going to demolish it and do a flood levy. But those plans kept getting pushed back further and further. And they're... Basically, the factory with its like tunnels and pits basically just came became a place for like local teens to like hide out and party. Yeah, I can just picture it being kind of like Wet Willies, which is also in Valley Park with right. like spray paint everywhere and you know yeah. whatever. That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah, teenagers. They just left it abandoned. Didn't bother like trying to take it down until about eight years later, and this is where it's going to get rough. Okay. I'm going to give you a trigger warning for child sexual uh, assault. Oh. Yeah. Why? July 26th of 2002, at about 7.30 a.m., Cassandra Williamson, who went by Casey, was six years old, mm. and she went missing. Oh. Yeah. She lived at her grandpa's house in Valley Park with her mother, Angie, and three of her five siblings. Mm-hmm. Her father, Ernie, lived across the street. The couple had recently separated, but he wanted to remain close to his kids. Mm -hmm. So he moved in with the neighbors, Michelle and Eddie, across the street so that they could co-parent. Right. We're going to go back just two days before this. Okay. So Chelsea, who was Casey's older sister, this was July 24th, 2002. Chelsea, I believe, was about 11 at this time. And her and her friend noticed a man following them as they were riding their bikes. Mm. So they sped away so that they could get away from him. Right. That night, Chelsea and Casey spent the night at their father Ernie's house. And that same night, 
a man by the name of Johnny Johnson, who was 24, was an acquaintance of the couple that Ernie was living with, Michelle and Eddie, Mm. also spent the night. Mm. This was the same man that was following Chelsea and her friend. I figured it was. That's awful. Yes. So July 25th, the next day, Angie got up in the morning and saw that Casey and Johnson were on her couch across the street watching cartoons. It was said that Johnson was like, that's fine. She's not bothering me. So I don't know if Angie said something like, oh, is she bothering you? Like, and this man was Johnny Johnson. He had red hair. He was known around town as like walking around with a shirt on and or yeah, walking around without a shirt on. And he was kind of a transient, like he had grown Mm -hmm. up in the area, but a lot of times he would like sleep in the park or he'd sleep in the glass factory, but sometimes he would stay at other people's houses. Mm -hmm. That same night, July 25th, Casey and Chelsea again spent the night at their dad, Ernie's. And again, so did Johnson. Mm -hmm. July 26th, Ernie got up around 6 a.m. to get ready for work. A little while later, Casey woke up and told her dad that she was hungry. So Ernie told her to wait upstairs while he finished getting ready for work, and then he would take her across the street to her grandpa's, where her mom was, to get breakfast. Okay. While Ernie was getting ready, Casey went downstairs into the living room where Johnson was sleeping on the couch. Mm-hmm. Ernie came downstairs at 7 a.m., and he saw Casey and Johnson, who was now awake, and they were sitting on the couch. So Ernie said he was going to the restroom, and when he came back out, he would take her to go get breakfast. Mm -hmm. But by the time he came out of the bathroom, Casey and Johnson were both gone. Mm, I don't like this. I know. I don't either. Ernie went across the street to see if maybe Casey had gone over there without him, but she wasn't there. And her parents reported her missing immediately. Mm Mm-hmm. That's good that they did it right away. Yes. Chelsea, her older sister, and her friend, her friend's name was Angel, that had ridden bikes together. They had told Angel's mom about this man and said that he was Mm -hmm. kind of creepy, but they never said anything to her parents. Now, I don't know why. I don't know if it was like they didn't get the opportunity. She didn't feel comfortable saying it. She didn't think it was a problem because her dad was in the house too when he was there. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure why, but not that anybody's to blame for anything. But yeah. So immediately a search party began. Police started knocking on doors. Locals were searching the wooded areas around and helicopters hovered over the town. Mm. Now, I remember this very clearly because... You were going to daycare at this time in Valley Park. I was. You were. You were, you were only there for a couple of years, so you probably don't remember. Yeah, I it. don't remember. But I remember driving down the side street and all these helicopters were hovering over. And I was like, it was just mm-hmm. really eerie. Mm-hmm. And to, to this day, if I see more than one helicopter, I, I just feel like something bad has happened, especially when they're hovering. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So a witness would later tell police that he saw Johnson carrying Casey in her nightgown and she had no shoes on. Okay. Around 8.30 a.m., Johnson, who was walking along the street, he was soaking wet. 
And he was stopped by police and questioned about why he was wet. Mm-hmm. He told offers, officers that he had gone for a swim in the river. Okay. But because a witness had seen him carrying Casey, the police took Johnson into the station to question him. Mm-hmm. He denied having even seen Casey that, smor- that morning. Piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, for about five hours, they interrogated him, and he just kept denying it over and over, saying I, he didn't see her. He had nothing to do with it. He even once said, I wouldn't hurt a little kid. I hate people. Yeah. He had a son of his own who was two at this time. And one of the police officers like tried to say something to him like, well, if your son was missing, you know, how would you feel about it? Mm-hmm. So it was at this point that Johnson finally broke. And he said, she's in the old glass factory. Okay. He told officers that Casey wanted to go with him to the glass factory. Sure. Right. Totally. Like she was hungry. She wanted breakfast. I don't think she's going to turn to him suddenly and say, hey, let's go to the glass factory. I'm still in my nightgown. Yeah. No, she wouldn't do that. It's not going to happen. And I don't think that – how old was she again? Six? She was six. Six? Yes. I don't think that she would – I mean, I don't know. I don't don't know a six-year-old's brain, but – you know, she said, her dad said, I'd be right back. Right. You know, I think that being six years old, if you think your dad's going to be right back, you wouldn't just up and leave, you know, because your dad's yeah. about to take you to breakfast. You're hungry. You just woke up. Right. He's, so Johnson told them that they were inside one of the pits and he was trying to climb up the wall when a rock fell and hit Casey on the head. Oh. The search for Casey now focused on the glass factory mm-hmm. and a man by the name of David Holtz, who was a friend of Casey's grandpa, was the one that found her mm. and he saw her toes sticking out of some rubble in one of the little tunnels. Oh, oh. no, that's horrible. Yes, it is. And I just like, oh, this just ate at me when I was. When I heard all this, because you, know, you mm-hmm. were two or three, I guess you were yeah. almost three at the time when this happened. Mm-hmm. So once the crime scene had been discovered, it very much contradicted Johnson's accident story. Mm-hmm. There was no way that he could have been climbing this wall in the particular pit that Casey was in. There was also blood in various places around the scene. So with this evidence and police confronting him, Johnson finally told them what actually happened. Oh, gosh. I don't even know if I want to know. Yeah, it's um, it's not good. Okay. He told – now I feel like I'm going to cry. He told officers that he wanted to have sex with Casey. She's six. I know. Yeah. But in order to not get in trouble for it, he planned to kill her afterwards. Right. Like, what the, what the fuck? What is that even fucking logic? Okay. So according to Johnson, when he woke up that, smor- that morning, he saw Casey standing next to the couch. And he had already had his eye on her. Yeah. So he saw this as his opportunity. When, his, when her father went to the restroom, Johnson asked Casey if she wanted to go, if she wanted to go to the glass factory to... In his words, quote, play games and have fun. Right. On the way to the factory, 
Casey told him that her feet hurt because she had no shoes on. She had no shoes on. She was in her nightgown. Yeah. So he started carrying her. And once inside the factory, Johnson asked Casey if she wanted to see his penis. Hmm. She told him no, but he pulled his pants down. Of course. And Casey turned her head away from him. He then told her to take her panties off. And she said no. Mm -hmm. So he shoved her to the ground and ripped them off of her. Yeah. Here is where I'm very proud of this little girl. Because he tried to force himself on her, but she mm-hmm. fought hard. Good. Good. Hard. Like, she's six. Yeah. And she kicked, screamed, scratched him. Like, mm-hmm. she was fighting very hard. Good. He thought she, he thought she would be an easy target. Right. Of course he, he did. He was not expecting her to put up a fight. Right. Hey, six-year-olds can be really freaking strong. Yeah. I mean, I worked, I've worked with kids for a while. Oh, yeah. And if they are determined, they will beat your ass. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. When I worked in a preschool, I had a five-year-old who put up a hell of a fight. Yep. And all I was trying to do was get him to, like, calm down and read a book or something, Mm -hmm. you know? Like. Right. She definitely was fighting hard. Good. I'm glad that she did. Me too. Johnson did not get to have his way as he wanted. Good. Thank God for that part. Piece of shit. Little bitch boy. He knew, I guess, that at this point that wasn't going to happen. So he picked up a brick and hit her on the head. I hope this guy burns in hell. Oh, me too. Casey fought. She still was fighting. I love this little girl. Even after he hit her on the head. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, go Casey. Yes. He continued to hit her and she continued to fight. Like, Good. She probably got all that adrenaline running through her. Yes. Yes. She was trying to run around this pit Mm -hmm. and get away from him and fight him off. And he kept coming after her. Mm -hmm. She eventually fell to the ground At this point, he picked up a large boulder and threw it on her head. Mm. And this would ultimately fracture her skull and kill her. Right. So she fought. She fought real hard. So I'm glad that proud of her for that. Yes. I'm proud of her for that, too. That's terrible. I've never heard that before. I didn't know that that happened. Mm -mm. Johnson buried her body in... The pit, he just piled a bunch of rocks and debris and stuff on top of her. And then he went to the Merrimack River to wash blood off of him. Yeah, that's why he was wet. wet. Yes. Yes. So Casey would have been going to the first grade that following Mm -hmm. school year. Friends and family said she was always smiling and singing. She had just gotten a new bike and learned to ride it. And she was just like so happy and just loved Mm -hmm. to ride her bike. Her funeral was held at the local Presbyterian church, and then her family later set up a scholarship in Casey's name. Oh, good. Yes. And they organized a local safety fair, which has, ha- which has been held every year since then, 
except oh. for a couple of years because of COVID. Right. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that they did so many good things. Yes. And it does return this year. Nice. So this year they have the safety fair again. It's a fun, free mm-hmm. event. They use it to educate parents and children on how to say, stay safe. And not only from strangers or mm-hmm. people that might be trying to hurt you. Predators. Yeah. But they also have like water safety, fire safety, self-defense. Oh, yeah. How to call 911, proper ways to wear seat belts. I mean, they have like mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff set up there. And That's then like really good. the ambulance comes, the fire truck comes, they have face painting, the red cross is there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's what a great opportunity. And I didn't even know that they held that every year until mm-hmm. I was reading all of this. We should go. And I do have uh, the website linked for uh, rememberingcasey.org in which they talk about, they show pictures of Casey. They actually have a remembrance for her sister as well, Chelsea. Chelsea, unfortunately, passed away from complications of pneumonia about Mm. eight years ago. That's sad. So, yeah, and she had two little kids. Yeah. August 21st of 2002, less than a month after this happened, the demolition of the glass factory began. And there was a lot of people that were angry because Valley Park waited so long to start demolishing the glass factory because they mm-hmm. repurchased it in 94 in right. preparation that they were going to demolish it. Right. But there was one man, the man that actually found Casey, whose mm-hmm. name was David. Mm-hmm. And he said that he would go visit this site pretty much every day after Casey was found and he would talk to her. And he said, it didn't matter if the glass factory had been demolished or not. This man was evil and he would have taken her somewhere else. Yeah. It wasn't to do with the glass factory, but you know, they just had a lot of bad things happen there. Yeah. A lot of bad things happen there. Yes, it's gone now. The levee was built in 2006. So there is a levee there, which also has some debate over because now other places flood, but I'm not getting into that debacle. In 2006, the same year that the levee was built, Johnson was convicted of armed criminal action, kidnapping, attempted forcible rape, and first-degree murder, and the jury recommended the death penalty. Okay. Thoughts? I am glad that he is facing judgment. But so what? So what actually? So what actually happened? Did he? So April twentieth of this year, literally just about a month ago, the Missouri Supreme Court set an execu- execution date for Johnson for August first of twenty twenty three. So he is set to be executed this August. Okay, I don't know how I feel. I have conflicting thoughts about the death penalty. However, I'm not mad about that. I'm not mad about this guy. I have conflicting thoughts when it's not 100% known. Right. When it's not like, like there's not fact proof behind it that this person did it. Like Correct. Not, yes, I get that for sure. Or if it's like a, a lesser crime or something. But this guy... I don't feel bad for him. No, I don't either. Not even a little bit. Casey's mom, Angie, actually said 
she was never for the death penalty until this happened to her own child. And yep. Yep. she was like, yep, I'm I okay with it. I completely understand that. Yeah. Once you have that personal connection, I mean, if I was her, I'd want to see that. I'd want to see that vengeance right there. And he, I mean, he knew details. He knew everything that mm-hmm. he did. He admitted to it yeah. finally. Yep. yep. I mean, within the same day. Yeah. He was admitting to it. Yeah. And he had been seen with her. I think the thing that bothers me most, honestly, and this might sound cold, but I feel like the thing that bothers me most is that it took this long. Yeah. But at the same time, death penalty stuff will always take really long. I know. I know it does. I know it does. Because, but it's, you know. It's just even, even the conviction took four years, which right. I know everything takes forever. Judicial system, you know, whatever. Yes. But when it comes to the, when it comes to to the death penalty, you have to like go, I think up to like the Supreme Court or something like that. Like it Well, the Missouri Supreme Court is the one that set the execution date. Right. Right. You just said that. Yeah. Well, I will celebrate on that day. (laughs) I will. So that is uh, the St. Louis plate glass factory. That's terrible. And if you want to go to the show notes and look at all the pictures of Casey, look at the safety fair and, you know, help contribute to remembering Casey. Her mom said in the, on the website that she never wanted Casey to just become a name. You know, she wanted it to be. She was a, a person. She was a real person. You know, she was a real yeah. little girl. With a real life and a real family. Yes. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. I hate that man. Same. With my whole heart. My whole heart hates And I mean, man. just go look at a picture of him. That man, he fucking looks creepy too. Like, ugh, gross. You know where he is held? Potosi, I believe. Oh, okay. Johnson is scheduled to die by lethal injection on August 1st at the Bonterre prison. Anyway, well, that was depressing. I know. I'm sorry. We can call it the uh, the unluckiest glass factory. Yeah. So currently, Johnson remains on death row at the Potosi Correctional Center in Mineral Point, Missouri. Okay. I don't know where that is, but... I don't either. But anyway. Anyways. All right. So that's it. Well... I thought it was really interesting to learn about this since we have a personal connection with it and everything, but it is very sad, but I am glad that I learned about Kate. Yes. And I, you know, I remember all this because we lived in the area and I saw the helicopters and I think it's important that Casey's memory remains out there, you know? I agree. I agree. So until next time, keep finding the thrill in the mysterious. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. Although there's really no thrill in that. No, there's not. But we do love you. And love thank you, you for all. listening. We love you all. Bye. Bye.